Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhagen and our Warren. 106.5 Welcome back into the House of Mystery. Of course, I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino is back from karate training again. <laughs> yes, a weekend of craziness. Why, I, I'm not As sure, usual. Why are you doing this anyway now, all of a sudden? It seems like every second weekend you're going out and doing the chop suey, hung hung fooey. Because I'm, I'm insane, Al. Oh. Well, okay. <laughs> I can't get enough. Well, are you hyping oh, I've up? Always, I've always been doing this. Yeah, but you seem to be doing yeah. a lot. So you're hyping up for a big, you know, karate tour or something? Yeah, there's just been a lot of stuff going on. So, And especially after the pandemic, there's just more to go to, so... Oh, I guess, yeah. I'm just, I guess. I'm just getting out there and getting the uh, rest off. Pandemic, that's just a blur, you know. Yeah, I know, right. It's all, <laughs> I can't picture the years anymore. It's all gone. So anyway. <laughs> well, speaking of the past, we're going to talk a little bit about the past today, and we've got a couple of authors here. Now, the book is called The American Way, and it's a true story of Nazi escape, Superman, and Marilyn Monroe. So we've got Helene Stepinski and Bonnie Siegler. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, um, now this this uh, strikes to me like it's a personal story of of yours, and it means a lot. Um, how did you decide to write this book? Like, what what gave you the uh, let's say the ignition to write this book? Um, well, it started as um, I wanted to get an article in the New York Times kind of about the Holocaust when um, the anti-Semitism and the level of hate in this country was really rising and it was very distressing in about 2016. So I thought we should just start talking about the Holocaust again to make sure it never happened again or anything remotely like it. So I decided I would try to get an article in the New York Times about my grandfather who escaped and um, I reached out to someone. I said, do you know someone who could help with this, write this article and pitch it to the Times? And they introduced me to Helene. That's me. That's where I came in. Yeah, so I met Bonnie. And um, her lore or her, her way to get people into her grandfather's story was to use some film footage that her grandfather shot back in 1954 of Marilyn Monroe the night that her dress blew up on the subway grate. So what happened was he escaped Nazi Germany in 1938, came to New York, was living on the Upper East Side, and he was there that night with his home movie camera. And he shot this footage. That's the only remaining footage from that night. So Marilyn was kind of the hook for the story for me to pitch at the time. It was kind of like a Trojan horse, if you will. Everyone was like, wow, an article about Marilyn that I've never seen this footage. And then you learned about the Holocaust. <laughs> you learned about his escape from Nazi Germany. But to me, you know, when I met Bonnie and saw the footage, it was amazing. But... 
Um, the story she told me about her grandfather's escape was more amazing. I mean, it was just a crazy story. It's just a crazy story, and that's what the book's about. So he basically had he had to get a financial sponsor to leave uh, Nazi Germany. Everybody did at the time. Everybody still does to leave a country. You have to get a, a financial backer. And um, his financial backer was Harry Donenfeld, who was the publisher of Superman comics. Oh. And so that's how Superman's involved in the story. So you learn the story about Harry as well. Harry was a Jew who came, who came to New York at the turn of the century as a kid. And um, he stepped up and helped Bonnie's family escape from Nazi Germany. So if it hadn't been for, you know, Superman <laughs> and his kid, uh, <laughs> publisher, Bonnie wouldn't be here on this interview right now. So, so Superman saved my life. Superman <laughs> saved the day. Yeah. So um, that's why he's involved. So, and then you find out, then later in the book, you know, he, he sees Marilyn on the subway and there's that whole view. But it's not, it's not about Marilyn Monroe. It's, it's more about her grandfather. It's really a kind of a history book and a memoir. And as I said, it's surprisingly uplifting and fun to read despite the difficulty of reading about the Holocaust. Right. Well, but when you, when you put the book together and and get it published like that, when someone picks up the book and reads it, what is it you hope they take away from the book? Well, there's a few things. I think the the main thing is her father, her grandfather was this incredible character and just a really, uh, he was the mayor of his block in New York City. He was this really communi- community-minded guy. He helped everyone around him. He was sort of a superhero, superhero without a cape, we say, you know. And um, I think that idea of just trying to love each other rather than hate each other, you know, that's kind of the message of the book. It's, you know? it's very much anti-hate of, you know, how there's hate of others, right. anybody who's other than you. <laughs> and this really tackles that in a lovely way. I mean, that it's all of, we should all be loving each other. And the connections in the book, make every, it makes everyone feel they're connected to everyone else. Right, which we are. Well, yeah, we are. It's silliness, you know. I I don't understand. Were you are you surprised at the the rise in this whole anti whatever stuff going on right now? This this continuous um, surge in 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 hate and dislike of of people of I, I don't even see. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand this other. You know, it's like someone's Jewish or someone's gay. Someone's like, I don't understand. There's people are people. Like, what? Why? Why do people do this? This whole thing. We're all the same, and we're all different. Period. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. Like our DNA is, you know, ninety nine point five. I love going on um, the DNA site and seeing like, oh, you have a point oh five percent connection. That means you're cousins because we're all basically the same. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's why you did how, but does this really surprise you? This is almost like the surge in the, in the, in the thirties and again in the sixties with uh, the Crow. That's that's what I, that was what my initial point was. This feels a lot like 1933, the rise of fascism, the rise of anti-Semitism and the hatred and just talking about hate all the time and making people hate other people for no good reason. Is crazy, and you know, my grandfather was 25 in 1938 when he decided to leave. So in 2016, I was much older, and I didn't know what to do, how I could help. I'm an activist, and I wanted to do something. And this story seemed the best, most powerful thing I could do. Yeah, but the, the story starts in the early 30s in Berlin, and so it moves through the century. You know, you're coming. You're, a lot of it is in Berlin. We went to Berlin to do research. 
And then he eventually leaves, obviously, and, and it kind of shifts to New York. But you do go back and find out what happened to the relatives who didn't leave, and that's the Holocaust part of it. You're finding the middle of the book has what happened, and the slow slide, that's the scary thing. You know, it didn't happen overnight. Rights here and there were taken away from Jews, and you know, there were, over a period of five years, you know. Yeah, there were 400 laws passed, little laws chipping away at rights over the, from 1933 to 1938. Well, I was wondering, you know, when your grandfather realized things were really getting bad in Germany and uh, maybe the steps he took uh, to get out. Oh, yeah, you had to, it was, a, it was like worse than college applications, you know, you had to go around <laughs> to every different office. It was Kafka-esque. And get, it was, absolutely, <laughs> trial, and get, collect paperwork. So the police had to give you paperwork, doctors had to give you paperwork. They needed to get visas. They needed to get a sponsor. So he actually left Germany to come to New York to get a sponsor. And then he had to get back into the country to collect my mother and my grandmother, which was crazy because, you know, they were trying to keep Jews out, not letting them in. Mm -hmm. So it was a second dangerous mission he was on. They, they almost didn't let him back into the country. He tried to get in and they said, no, you're a Jew. You're going the wrong direction. You know, leave. And he had to, on the spot, come up with a story to get back into the country. And he told them that he was Clark Gable's agent and that if he didn't get into the country, <laughs> Clark Gable's next film wasn't going to get into the country. And he was not an agent of any kind. He was a furrier. You know? <laughs> and he was thinking on his feet. And they, he knew that Hitler was a fan of uh, Clark Gable. And it scared these guards. And they let him back in. And he got in. He got the his wife and his kid, and he left again. Yeah. He said if if he didn't get in, then Clark Gable's next film, which would have been Gone with the Wind, would not be seen in Germany. <laughs> and that scared them enough to let him in. And then he collected my grandmother and my mother and got out again. It's, it's really wow. objectively, you know, just without me being involved in it. <laughs> it's its own great story. So, Well, that you know, it's just, uh, you know, I still can't get over it. But um, so how how do you do your research for something like this of course the grandfather but were there other things that you searched into oh yeah lots i mean for the you know neither of us were comic fans with the exception of mad magazine so <laughs> we had to learn everything about the comics industry which harry was one of the founders of he founded dc comics um so we we studied jerry um Jerry Siegel. Oh, God. You're blanking out. Jerry Siegel and Joe, and Joe Schuster. Schuster. <laughs> I, I always took their last name for, for some crazy Jerry reason. Jerry Schuster. No, they Jerry created um, Superman. You know, they worked for, they tried to sell it for like five years before they finally did sell it. They were taken extreme advantage of when they sold it to Harry and his partner Jack because they offered, and Jerry and Joe accepted, only $130 and signed a contract giving over the rights to Superman in perpetuity. Wow. So the DC Comics made a lot of money, and Jerry and Joe really suffered for the rest of their lives not having any money. So wow. that's you know, too. You know, it's, it's a, a lot of stories tied together. They were two Jewish kids from Cleveland, you know, so, so it's all tied together. So we, you know, we dug deep into comics research. We dug deep into Marilyn Monroe research. We both read a bunch of books about her, more than I care to count, and um, and. And what Germany was like at the time, what America, what New York was like at the time. I mean, all of it was researched. Pretty crazy, isn't it? You know, when you, uh, and I don't know about you, because I know I've written books covering Germany in the 30s and even um, Chicago, like in the 20s and 30s. And I was surprised about going through the papers each day and seeing how much of the same complaints were going on then. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Like yeah. the names have changed, but it's still the, the same. Parallels are kind of scary, actually. Like I had, I didn't realize that until we started doing the research, and it kind of scared the hell out of me. I was like, oh my god, and this is the same playbook. <laughs> we don't, we don't address, you know, um, dictator tot um, <laughs> specifically, but um, sorry, I can't say his name. <laughs> but everybody who reads it is like, holy cow, the similarities are. Frightening. Yeah, and it's not made up. I mean, it's there. You know, it's all there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it's why it's why we were driven to do this. Yeah. What were, were there any surprises in your research yourself, or when you were going through and putting the book together? Were there things that came up that you were like, "Wow, I didn't." Yeah, I, well, didn't. I mean, I I had no idea how slow that build was from thirty three to thirty eight. You know what I mean? I I just I knew a little bit about the Holocaust, but I didn't know that it was that slow chipping away. So that was kind of a shock to me how they did it. And it just and they basically, you know, followed the Jim Crow laws, you know, in America. That was sort of their guide, you know, in Germany, which is kind of scary when you think about it. Um, they they literally said, Oh, look what the Americans are doing to African Americans. That's a great idea. <laughs> We'll take away we'll take away their right, the Jews' rights, just like those fabulous Americans are doing. <laughs> wow. There were also entertaining things that were just sort of lighter, you know, it wasn't all just heavy stuff. We we um you know, we had the connection between um her grandfather and Marilyn Monroe. Obviously he shot the footage of her, right? And then we had the connection between um Harry Donenfeld and Jules. He was his sponsor to come over, but we didn't have that tie in between Marilyn Monroe and Harry, the Superman guy. And so we kept just kept digging and digging, and finally I found a picture of Marilyn Monroe from 1946. It was a candid shot that I'd never seen before. Most people have not seen. Um, and it had her dressed just in the covers that she was on in 1946 from magazines from then. And the magazines that she's wearing are mostly Harry's magazines, because Harry was this big publisher, and he had girly magazines, and she was on the cover <laughs> And it was just this great moment where I was like, oh, my God, everyone really is tied together, you know? So things but, like that. But then also, you know, uh, I found out what happened to my great-grandparents who decided not to come to America because they didn't think they didn't think they were in danger. They understood that people were in danger, but they were older. He had served in World War I for Germany. So they really thought they were going to be okay. And nobody in the family knew what had happened to them and through research because of the magic of the internet and the Holocaust museums around the world, I was able to find exactly what happened to them, which was both devastating and kind of amazing to be able to find out what happened so long ago. Yeah, no one in her family ever knew the story about what happened to them. And so Bonnie found it. And that, that's a whole chapter, what happens to them. Well, just going back to the... Uh... To, to comics for a minute. I was a real big comics fan uh, way back in the uh, 70s and 80s. And, you know, it was under my understanding that um, the comics industry itself was, was basically created as, you know, kind of like a Jewish industry. It was yep. harder for Jewish people to, um, to, to find other, to get into other industries, so they created their own. Am I correct on that? Absolutely. They're, they were all Jewish, everyone. They had to get jobs in the publishing industry, you know, and so they created their own industry. But, yeah. it, you know, the same thing happened in Hollywood yeah. because they couldn't get jobs yeah. in other industries, so they created Hollywood. Wow. Um, the, you know, so how how is doing this book, this project almost, and putting it out, how has it changed you? Wow. Well, one, it was our pandemic project. Yes, thank God. So it <laughs> saved us during the pandemic because we were we had tons of work and tons right. of stuff to read and do and learn. 
So that was the timing, which was accidental. We decided to write this book together in January, and the pandemic started in March. So we didn't anticipate that it would, we would be completely free um, yeah. to work on the book. So that was really amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, we talked to each other like 100 times a day. You know, was, I said we should have had walkie-talkies, you know, so we didn't have to dial the phone. We were just constantly talking to each other. And we were already friends when it began, because when the story about um, – her grandfather ran in the Times. That was in 2017, and we didn't sell this book until 2020. So within those three years, we had become friends. But the writing of the book actually made us closer, and it could have gone the other direction. We oh, definitely, <laughs> we could have ended up hating each other. But but it just it was it was I know it's crazy. It was just a really lovely experience. Yes, yeah, it really was. It, it was, was really no problems because she's not a writer, you right? Know? And um, I like to do research, but. Right. I'd rather just write, you know, and so I did some research, but Bonnie was just shoveling the information to me every day. You know? <laughs> I, I like to think I was tossing the information. It's too much. But, but uh, also it's been, I mean, for my family, it's been really intense. I mean, I would never, I'm not the kind of person who I don't post pictures of my family or my children on lot. Like I'm not a sharer in that way. So it was a big decision to, to, you know, go public, go public with my family's story. But I'm, I mean, the way people have responded to the story has been really incredible. And my parents are really, really proud. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> now, that's great. Our, our, gran our grandfather was a superhero to us and to many other people. Um, so it's really nice to be able to pay tribute to someone that you think is so special. He was a good guy. Yeah, and um, you know, well, it's it's pretty amazing the, the the whole concept in the book. Were were you worried about being public with this kind of a story, with the conditions of the country since sixteen? No, I mean you can't be scared. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, look what's going on, right? You have these people with these masks on and and shooting other people, and you know all this stuff going on. It seems like almost daily, and you got so much BS and and. I just don't, I would imagine coming out with a story and giving your, your family's story and what happened would be offensive to those people. You know what I mean? Like only, they would take it that way. Only Holocaust deniers. It's a really loving story. Yeah, we've had yeah. a couple of weird things. We, we had one reading where the woman got up in the middle of our talk and said, there's haters on both sides. I mean, we're talking about the Nazis, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I had mentioned that that expression, you know, there are good people on both sides as being something that was motivating for me. Um, and so she stood up. She had to tell me there were bad people on both sides, too. You know, we're right. talking about these, you know. And then uh, somebody I know um, posted something about our book um, on Facebook, and one of her friends, and she lives down south, one of her friends said, oh, well, I don't believe that happened, meaning the Holocaust. And that was my first brush with, like, an actual Holocaust denier. Like, I know they're out there in the world, but I never actually had to see them. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. But you can't be intimidated by people who are that ignorant of events in the world. Right. <laughs> right. Well, to be intimidated like that and you stop doing what you're doing, then they're winning in that way. Exactly. Exactly. Right. You right. know, so you but don't want to do that. that much. It's only been a funny bit. No, so really, people have been, people have shared their stories with us. People are really, you know, and then they also want to look into their history, which we, you know, there were a lot of characters, people, my relatives in the book, who I never talked to them about their experience during the war, despite knowing them their whole, my whole life. 
And I wish I had. So there was a lot of people who we got to watch. We got the information about them from their children or grandchildren, or we watched like show a testimony tapes where they tell their own story. But so much better to be able to sit in a room with them and talk to them. And we miss that chance with too many people. So I highly encourage people to talk to their older relatives about their lives and what they experienced. Yeah, and that goes with anything. It doesn't even have to be Holocaust. Correct. Related. I mean, you know. Right research I've written about my family. I, I wrote three memoirs before I met Bonnie. I ran out of family stories, so then I had to lock you ran out of family. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> my family. There were people I couldn't interview. They were dead, you know, and so I always tell people, go out and talk to your relatives and get it on tape. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, why do you think that is? Why do you think that we don't talk to the relatives? We don't talk about these things that happen, which were pretty serious things. They're really, um, they really affected the family's lives. I think a lot of times, you know, when you're younger, you don't think about it, right? You're not in that head. You're not thinking about history. You're not thinking about this person's not going to be around forever. Right. And so you don't you're, think about it until a little later. And by the time you figure it out, they're dead. You know, that's the problem. When you're young, you think about who texted me? Why didn't they text me? Um, but also with a lot of times relative, I mean, bad things people don't want to talk about. Right. And so you really have to. Ask them, tell me about your experience when you lived in the old country or whatever, in, you know, for anybody. And, and if they're asked, I believe they will answer. I think they generally do, yeah. Yeah. But they don't want to impose by, you know. Telling you some terrible story. Exactly, <laughs> unless you're ready and willing to hear it. Well, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And, and Holocaust deniers, and also there's a, I know a friend, I know a lot of radio guys, and there's a guy that does a show in, in Minnesota, Minneapolis, and I know they do questions on the street, and, and they were out asking people what the Holocaust was. And seven out of ten didn't know what it was. Yeah, it's Well, scary. that's why we wrote the book. There you that's, go. But that's, I just, I just, I was, I was just shocked. And watching some of the videos, and people would say, isn't that that chocolate mint at a fine dining restaurant? And to, to people saying, it's the name of that spaceship, isn't it? The space... Oh and I'm thinking, really? Wow. How did yeah. this happen? Like, yeah, um, I never forget, and people have already forgotten. So, you know, I, I teach as well, and uh, I teach writing. And I every summer I teach a class where I have my students interview Holocaust survivors because they're all dying. You know, they're, they're really old. And right. so while they're still around, I want them to talk to them in person, and they do. And the kids are blown away, you know, unless they're Jewish. A few kids are Jewish. They'll know a little bit about the Holocaust, but most of the other kids really don't know anything. And a lot of the people they're interviewing were the same age as they are now when they were escaping whatever it was, Czechoslovakia or Berlin or whatever. And so they're hearing these stories firsthand, and that's really mind-blowing for them. So the education is just not there. You know, it's kind of sad. Yeah, it is, because I think then that's where we run into the mistakes happening again, you know. Yeah. The people have to realize how, how serious it can be, you know. Um, if you don't learn from history, you're destined to repeat it. Right. Yeah. Someone told me that once. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just I just made that up. Oh, there you go. You should consider writing a book. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, it's a, well, I think it's a great story. I'm I'm glad you guys wrote this and stuff. And 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 any family members still around that sort of have give you feedback to this? Um, no, it's really the, I mean, it's the next generation. It's the next generation. Right. So, but I'm first generation because my mom was born in Germany. So, right. 
Um, yeah, one of her cousins is actually coming out to LA today. Um, she's meeting us tomorrow at a, we have a reading tomorrow at the Holocaust Museum. And, um, she lives in Dallas normally, but she's flying in for it. And she's the, do- the granddaughter of the cousin who got the signature from Harry Donenfeld, the Superman guy. So, uh, she's very connected. And Bonnie doesn't, really we've never, we've never met. I never spoke to her before I was doing the research for the book. So it's I gained family through doing this by reaching out to strangers and saying, you don't know me, but we're related, you know, because so-and-so was married to so-and-so. And you <laughs> family, you know? <laughs> but my grandfather knew his story was special. And when I was young, he asked me, actually, I worked at MTV, and he said, oh, good, you work in television. Now you have the movie of my life. <laughs> not, not understanding what MTV was at the time, but he, so he knew it was special, and and also that meant that he would be very happy to know that this book was written. We weren't violating any anything, um, but he wanted. He suggested the book be called the signature because that signature was the thing that saved our lives. Harry pretty, pretty amazing. How was Joe DiMaggio um, brought into this? Well, you know, obviously Joe DiMaggio was married to Marilyn Monroe, and so that scene on the subway grate where her dress is blowing up uh, was kind of infamous in in uh, movie history. Joe DiMaggio was there that night. It was being shot and got really angry and stormed off the set. And when Marilyn went back to their hotel that night, he beat her up, and she divorced him, like, immediately. She left him, like, the next day. So it was a pretty pivotal moment in her life, that whole scene. You know, it wasn't just because of the movie iconic image. Um, but it was about her relationship. But then, I think it was Bonnie who found this out. <laughs> she started, she's like, you're not going to believe this, but Joe DiMaggio was a huge Superman fan. <laughs> I read Superman comics all the time. Like, he would make one of his teammates go to the newsstand to get it when they were touring other cities because he, he was embarrassed. He doesn't want to be seen buying the comic books. Oh, so one, of, one, of my, together. one of my favorite um, Joe DiMaggio Maryland stories, which is in the book, it's just a little tiny anecdote, when they went on their honeymoon to Japan, um, someone asked Marilyn to take a side trip to Korea to entertain the troops, which she did. She came back to Japan, and she said to Joe DiMaggio, her husband, who was now retired, you wouldn't believe, you can't imagine what it feels like to have tens of thousands of people cheering for you. And Joe DiMaggio goes, uh, yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> because Marilyn had no idea. She didn't know from baseball. She never went to a Joe DiMaggio baseball game. She didn't really. She knew he was famous, but not really beyond that. She didn't know what a slugger he was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who is he? I just knew <laughs> he was a sports guy, but wasn't right. sure exactly what team he played on or what sport he even played. Yeah. Or even that there were tens of thousands of people cheering him on. <laughs> well, speaking of sports, there's also uh, a story in the book about Jack Dempsey, who, who, who was a boxer, who I actually have his book, uh, Championship Fighting, but uh, I, I found it very interesting. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, Harry Donenfeld was friends with Jack Dempsey, because that was like in the 20s, you know. Okay. Um, they were both pretty young at the time, and um, they were buddies, and at one point, I think they were fooling around, and, oh, uh, Harry gives him a hot foot. Do you guys know what a hot foot is? Remember? <laughs> <laughs> somebody's laces on fire, you know, it's like <laughs> in the 20s, I guess. And um, Dempsey got mad and punched Harry in the arm and broke his arm. Oh. <laughs> uh, he got that from his kids. We interviewed his kids and his, his, his grandchildren. grandchildren. All his grandchildren. Wow. Oh. That's a strong hit. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it was pretty strong. But then years later, you know, Dempsey's restaurant was in Times Square. And so Harry used to hang out there. Joe DiMaggio used to hang out there. So Dempsey's is, you know, a scene later on in the book. So he come, kind of comes and goes. Jack, Jack Dempsey also had a um, hotel down in Miami that um, Harry used to go to when he would go to Miami. So Harry went to Miami and Havana, Cuba a lot. We, <laughs> we were able to find... Every passage on a boat, every train, every plane trip, you know, because there were like 10 people on the plane. So their, the lists of their names were all online. Yeah, it was all the research, the amazing stuff. And Cuba, you know, you could gamble, obviously. They had the casinos there. So he was, uh, Harry was pretty mobbed up. You know, he wasn't in the mob, but he had lots of mob friends and, uh, he would go to the Nacional, you know, hotel to, to gamble. And uh, hang out at the casino. Yeah, Helene, you know, being a um, national best-selling author already of something beforehand, right. um, but how do you, how how does this book compare to that your previous? Well, it's very it's different in a way because obviously it's not a memoir. My first book was the bestseller. It was about my family and the criminals in my family in Jersey City. I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey, and um, you know, it definitely, obviously, more. Personal, right? It was my story, my family story. Right. Uh, but really, it's kind of the same approach. You know, I'm a journal. I was trained as a journalist. When I wrote my first book, I'd already worked as a journalist for ten years. I was a reporter, and I knew how to dig into other people's stories. And so then I just turned it, turned the focus onto me and my family. And but I took the same approach. You know, I did newspaper research. I found all the criminal records for the family. I interviewed people. It's the same same approach. So for Bonnie's story. I did worry a little bit that it would be a little hard to write because it was about someone else's family, but I took such a deep dive with her family, and they kind of adopted me in a way that, like, it was almost like writing about my family. And because you know? we were in constant contact, it you know, we were, I mean, it, she was, like, inside my head. Mind-melded. We were mind-melded. So it almost became like it was her family, too. Yeah. So she, like I said, she's feeding me the information. I'm just filtering it and writing the sentences, you know, but it was definitely a collaboration. So it was actually freeing in a way, you know, not to be writing about my family because I'm always worried about like who I'm going to offend in my family. So now she left that up. She, she passed that torch to me. So I get to worry about who's going to be offended. I don't think anyone will be offended, but it's a happy story, but I don't know. You, you never know when you people appear in a book. Yeah. You don't know how they're going to respond. But, you know, we interviewed everybody. There's nobody who will be like, what? There's a book about our family? <laughs> um, so it, I think it's all going to be okay. I think we would have heard already. If yeah, that's that. true. <laughs> yeah, no surprises going on, you know. And you also mentioned Billy Wilder. So how how did he get into the story? Well, he directed The Seven-Year Itch. So that was our initial way in to him, to know he was going to be included. And in the film my grandfather shot, he was standing behind Billy Wilder. So Billy walks in and out of the frame during this short film he shot of, at The Seven-Year Itch set. Um, but also he, well, he was born in Vienna, and then he left to go to Berlin. And then he left Berlin, apparently the night of the Reichstag fire, um, he decided he saw the fire from a restaurant window and decided it was time to go. And later, he, when people asked why he left, he said Hitler told me to go. Right. So, <laughs> it was Hitler's idea. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So when he, in doubt. 
so he was a fellow Berlin refugee in America, and my grandfather loved him because of that, you know? Yeah, they were there at the same time. You know, they were young at the same time. They were there. Uh, and the, one of the other crazy connections was um, we, had, we had found pictures of um, Bonnie's grandfather at Blancy Lake on the beach. Um, with his, Which is right outside of Berlin. Right. It's, it's like the Coney Island, you know, to New York, is to Bonsi is to uh, Berlin. And so we found these pictures of them at the beach, uh, her mother included, when she's a little girl. And then we found out that um, Billy Wilder's first movie that he wrote was called uh, People on Sunday. And it was about people leaving the city to go to the beach on Sunday to Bonsi Lake. You know, so it's the same destination. It's all the same details as her her, her grandfather's story. And then, of course, which I, I didn't know any of this. I kind of had heard about it in my life, but I didn't take a deep dive. Um, Vons, you know, the Vonsi, you know, conference uh, was where the Nazis came up with the final solution. So it was at a villa on Vonsi Lake, which was right across from where Jules would go to sunbathe. And we, when we went to Berlin, we went to the villa. And it, it was pretty you know, mind-blowing. Basically, they typed up all the ways they would achieve their goal and got all the commanders, the Nazi commanders, to agree, like, okay, this is our new mission. We want to kill all the Jews in all of Europe. I think it was like they really wanted to kill 9 million. You know, they wound up killing 6 million, but the, I think the goal was like 9 or 10 million. And it was just the way they had to come up with a way to do it. Wow. Industrialized how, murder. You know, they had to figure out the train situation and camps and all that. And it, it worked out at that meeting. So. Yeah, it's awful. How how were the um, Berlinites, I guess we'd call them, people that came from Berlin that escaped during that time? Did they kind of stick together in the U.S. or was there kind of also. Uh, because in the U.S. at that time with Lindbergh and, and the anti. Yeah. You know, they, I mean, they were very pro. Um, Nazism, and they didn't want to get in the war, and all this stuff was going on within the country. It was a good, strong, you know, what forty percent people, kind of yeah. like the uh, the Trumpites, you know, kind of like there's that real, you know, group of people. <laughs> did, did they feel kind of like they had to hide in the U.S.? Do you think? No, they didn't. I mean, they certainly didn't. They learned English very quickly, and they changed my mother's name from a German name to an American name. You know, stuff like that. They they. Because there were both sides, people who hated Germans for what they were doing and people who hated Jews, and they were German Jews, so they couldn't win. Yeah. Luckily, um, my grandfather had his own fur shop. He opened in New York the moment he got here, as did his cousins and his sister, so they were all furriers from Berlin. So they went about their own business rather than trying to get work from someone else, if that makes sense. Right. right. And they, you know, I think they did have the community of their family and other Jews who had settled in Manhattan, you know. And so there was a, a network of people, I think. Definitely. There were, but I, they weren't hiding anymore. They felt yeah. incredibly lucky and blessed to have their lives back. The American way. Exactly. Well, there you go. And I, I would, I, but I would have figured that there would be still a, that's a huge amount of courage to up and leave your country as it is and to go to Without another country. The language. Yeah. yeah and, and you have to do all of that to go through to survive. And you're really doing it so that your kids would carry on. And, and yet, even in America, there is a, you know, issues that you had to deal with too, right? So it's, it takes a huge there amount a, of... Yeah, there was a Nazi parade, you know, in his neighborhood right after he moved to Manhattan. So it was still going on. I mean, we weren't in the war yet, 
Um, there was a big um, rally at Madison Square Garden around that same time, you know, for all the the Nazis, and it was still happening, you know. But then once the war started, you know, forty one, you couldn't be a Nazi anymore in America. You know? Yeah. But my grandfather was one of the people who welcomed any refugee from Berlin, and he would, you know, he was he would invite them in. They would stay with him. He would throw weddings for people. He was just he was a, a one person welcoming committee. Yeah. Because he knew, you know, what it felt like. Yeah. And I think also, um, he, he didn't leave right away. I mean, they didn't come till 38. That's pretty late in the game. You know, people started leaving in 33. Billy Wilder left like, like 35. And my grandfather's sister went to Palestine in 30. One sister went to Palestine in 33. Another one went to France in 33. So that's five more years that he hung on partially because of my grandmother's parents. And she had a little sister who ended up hiding out in Berlin throughout the war. She came over after the war. She miraculously survived hiding out. Um, and they called people who hid out, who apparently there was a large number of, they called them U-boats because they were just under the surface. Wow. They didn't come up very often. But she didn't look Jewish. She was a redhead with freckles, so she had probably had a better time. Her daughters told us that she made a snap for her the yellow Jewish star that she had to wear, so depending on where she was, she could take it off. Right. Man, I just yeah, it's just amazing. I you know I think uh, I think it's great. I'm glad you ladies got the book together and uh, put it out there. It's something that uh, we need more of, and and you know I I tell you I appreciate the work. Fantastic. Thank you for saying that. Um, well, so so what's going on with you ladies now? You're going around touring the book. Or are you going to any? book shows or anything like that uh what's what's kind of your plans now well we're in la right now and we're going to the holocaust museum tomorrow tomorrow night we're being 6 30 it's at 6 30 and we're being interviewed by melissa rivers joan rivers daughter oh right we're, we're very excited yeah well fantastic well, like uh, spring set as you two days ago and yeah it'll continue we're, we're moving on <laughs> well we really appreciate you guys uh coming on the show and, of course, the book is called The American Way. It's a true story of Nazi escape, Superman, and Marilyn Monroe. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.